So Money Episode 1058, Black Wealth Matters series with Rachel Rogers, founder of Hello7. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I feel like, and what I wanted to address was seeing this good white liberal response, which is the response we always get every time another innocent black person is killed by a cop. It's always oh, I'm so sorry, thoughts and prayers, make a donation, post on Instagram, done. And I'm just like, no, absolutely not. If you're an entrepreneur and you have been following Black Lives Matters on Instagram and Facebook and the movement on social media, you may be familiar with the latest from my guest, Rachel Rogers. Earlier in June, she posted a video that went absolutely viral talking about what she called Marie Forleo and the good white woman response. That video for her expanded what was already a growing online community. Many people flocked to Rachel for her incredible advice on how to become a millionaire. Rachel was on the show last year. She is a friend. She's a former client. And she's the founder of Hello7, a company that provides coaching and mastery courses to help members become millionaires. She's also the founder of Million Dollar Badass, a high-level mastermind for women looking to take their businesses from six to seven figures. Rachel believes all women should desire to become millionaires because of the profound impact a woman's money can make on the world. Many of you reached out and asked me to interview Rachel again during this series and I'm happy to say she agreed to come back with lots more to share. Here is Rachel Rogers. Rachel Rogers, welcome back to So Money. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, you were on the podcast about a year ago. We became friends um, through my book to brand workshop. Happy to hear you got a book deal, a big book deal. I want to ask a few questions about that later on in the show. But first, let's start with your engagement right now with your community that has grown. So nice to see the virality that your message has taken on. Now, I'm looking at your Instagram right now. On May 30th, you posted a video titled Marie Forleo and the Good White Liberal Response, over 386,000 views, um, which then led to an important town hall that you hosted for entrepreneurs who wanted to understand where to take their businesses from here, reimagining small business. I'd like to go back to that first video though, the viral video. You mentioned in the video, like this is a little out of character for me. Like I'm not here to talk about customer service and how to, you know, 10X your revenue. I'm here to talk about race and Black Lives Matter. Can you tell me a little bit about what you covered in that video? So I want everyone to go back and watch that, but tell us a little bit about what your hope was for that video. What was the message? And then the response, were you expecting the, like, like basically you're the most famous person on Instagram right now? (laughs) (laughs) I doubt that's true. Um, But actually it was, it it was actually a Facebook live and then I wound up putting it on Instagram. So like between that, between Facebook Mm -hmm. and Instagram, it's like at 600,000 views. Oh my gosh. Um, And absolutely not what I was expecting. Um, But really, I just saw a conversation unfolding where Black women were upset about something that was happening in Marie Forleo's community. 
And um, they were talking about it, many of them, right? It wasn't just one woman. It was literally probably a hundred that I saw. And then there were white women coaches who are also in the industry and they were talking around it and sort of protecting Marie's name. And I just found it really irritating. <laughs> yeah. I just well, like, for context, no. can you tell us? Because I, I was not tuned into that. Um, although I did yeah. see some fe- white female coaches take a lot of heat in the last few weeks, perhaps deservedly mm-hmm. so. I'm not really in that, I'm not plugged in. Um, so tell me a little bit about like what your video was referencing specifically. What was that Marie Furlio brouhaha? Well, essentially, Marie Forleo has a, a big community uh, for her program, B-School, which she's been selling probably for a decade at this point or close to it. And it's got 30,000 people in that community of all different backgrounds, um, all looking to grow their businesses. And I was a part of B-School many years ago, um, and I'm still an alumni in that group, although I, I don't access it much and didn't know what was happening until I saw you know, friends of mine and just people that I'm connected to online talking about it. And I think with everything going on in the world in the wake of George Floyd's death, I was feeling, you know, understandably emotional and angry. Um, And there was just a fever pitch to it that was different, you know, and I think it was just like, it was just one too many things between uh, the way that Black people have been impacted by COVID in ways that other communities are not. And then, you know, the unemployment that is impacting Black people in ways that other communities are not. And then, you know, just like all of the things, it's all too much and we're angry. And deservedly so, right? Like we have a reason to be angry. And so I feel like, and what I wanted to address was seeing this good white liberal response, which is the response we always get every time Um, another innocent black person is killed by a cop. It's always, oh, I'm so sorry, thoughts and prayers, make a donation, post on Instagram, done. And I'm just like, no, absolutely not. And then on top of it, you know, if you're part of a community online that you have been sharing in and on this, on a journey inside of this community, and that community says, no, we're not talking about race. No, we're not talking about Black Lives Matter. It's political and we're not talking about political things or whatever, and shuts down the conversation, you know, that is what happened in Marie Forleo's group. And it's what happened in a, in quite a few different groups and communities where people were just like, we don't want to talk about it. You know, the exact same thing is unfolding with Starbucks right now, where they're saying, you can't wear paraphernalia about Black Lives Matter because it's political. It is absolutely not political. We're talking about human rights. And by the way, so, they, they took that back. They're like, okay, sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. You can wear yeah, it. They're yeah. making Walk the t-shirts. All the way back. Yes. We will give you, we will give you the t-shirts and the pins <laughs> and the hats. Yeah. I bet they will. <laughs> the people have spoken. Um, so with everything going on, uh, just seeing more examples of, and these are my peers, these are friends that I've had for years, people that I've been on the entrepreneurial journey with for years that I'm seeing, um, making these kinds of comments, leading large communities of people. And I don't know Marie Forleo personally, she's not a friend of mine. Um, but she has been a mentor in the past and she's been a leader in this industry and she's a leader of a large community of people. And for her to shut down the conversation was unacceptable. And for then people who were commenting on it to try to protect her identity completely enraged me. Because I'm just like, we're done protecting people's identities. We're done not, 
you know, shaming people, that is all over. We're done. Because the only way they're going to listen is if we shame them, right? If we go all in <laughs> well, just, and we let or, them know. Or simply calling them out on their actions. Calling out. Exactly. Because that, that is a form of protest, right? We're saying what you are doing is unacceptable. It's the same way that corporations who are putting out statements who don't back that up with who's on your leadership, right? What is the experience of the black employees that you hire? Does that seem congruous with the statement that you've just made? If it's not, we're calling you out because that's the only way to then call you in. And that is the whole point, right? We call you out so that you are uncomfortable and then you're inspired to take action. And then we can call you in and you can be a powerful ally fighting against racism. But the, the thing is, is you can't take black people's money you can't have black people as your customers. You can't have black people as your employees and then not be outraged at what is happening with police brutality and even beyond that, right? With racism and how acceptable it is in all different circles. It's just in the workplace. It's everywhere and it must come to an end. And so at this point, we just, we've just, ha- we're just, we've had it. <laughs> we have had it. And so therefore we are speaking our truth. And that's what I was doing in that video is saying like, listen, I am gravely disappointed in the response of my peers, of people who call themselves my friends. This is not an acceptable response. Allyship is active. It's not a statement and a donation one time. It has to be so much more than that. And you need to join me in my outrage and you need to fight for me the same way that I have fought for you, right? I've fought for LGBTQ rights. I have um, donated and fought for you know, immigration issues, right? Where are you? It's our turn. Where are you when we are the ones who are getting the worst of what America has to offer, right? (laughs) In terms of racism and discrimination um, and economic disadvantages and all of it, you know? So it's very logical, Rachel. It's very logical. And I'm curious what has been the response, because obviously like we, on Instagram and Facebook, when we post things like it tends to become an echo chamber. There was a lot of debate though, of course, going on in your, in your um, feed. I loved reading all that, by the way, like you were shutting people down. It was beautiful, but like in a really matter of fact way, it wasn't insulting. It was just like, well, if you're going to charge people to take your course, black people, white people, you need to like actually follow through on that. And you have to have, uh, you know, people that are working for you that represent more communities, more diversity, more people of color, consistently paying, contributing to campaigns and programs that support the people that you claim to serve. Exactly. Um, I I think that's what we're finding is that these leaders are ill-equipped to lead these communities, right? They have large very diverse communities and a huge group of their community is devastated and in deep pain over what is happening to their people and the fear that they have just to leave the house. You don't even have to leave the house anymore to get shot by a cop. It is very scary. And for these leaders to just shut down the conversation or not know how to have it or not know how to lead it, or when people come up and say racist things, they don't shut the racist down. They shut down the whole conversation or they shut down the black people. It's like, Are you kidding me? You need to educate yourself on these issues. Like you can't lead a diverse group of people. And that's the problem, right? Like diversity has been a big buzzword in our society. But the problem is, is it inclusive? Is it equitable? Right? Is it anti-racist? And that's the problem. You have to back it up. You can't just 
hire diverse people and then not create a space that is inclusive for them to thrive because they're just going to leave anyway, right? I'm sure you saw what has happened at places like The Wing, Refinery29, the female-led businesses, their co-founders, founders uh, forced to resign because now mm-hmm. we're discovering that, th- that there w- it was really corrupt on the inside in terms of um, what they were saying they were standing up for, but what was actually happening behind the scenes. Absolutely. And this is always the case. And you know what's the interesting thing, Farouche, is that Black people know. We always know. We knew it. Mm-hmm. We had a feeling. We have a spidey sense that is uh, honed from like when we start preschool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we just smell it when it's happening before we even know about it. It's like we can sense it just because we have to. We have to be able to because it's a, a form of protecting ourselves. Maybe it's just because I'm a female and I consume a lot of content that is created by women. I you know, have visited The Wing. I read Refinery29. I read Vogue. And I know Wintour came under a lot of heat. Maybe it's just my perspective, but I feel like a lot of white women at the helm of companies are under fire. It's like, well, what about some of these white men too? I agree. Do you feel like there's a little bit of like, I'm not saying that they don't deserve to step away from their businesses, but I also feel like, why aren't we looking at all of the people, all of the genders that might not be like all of the people as if, I I don't know, maybe it's just what I'm looking at, but it does feel a little one-sided. I agree. And I think part of the reason for that, I mean, I've called out men and women in this last two weeks for sure. Um, But I agree with you. I do see that. And I think part of it is because maybe we think women are more likely to be our allies. You know, maybe we feel like women are more likely to be able to be called in once they're called out. It could be that we feel like, honestly, unfortunately, that some white guys are a lost cause and we're wasting our time talking to them about it, you know? So that could be part of that, unfortunately. Has anyone uh, after that post, and then of course you had the town hall, which I want to talk about, but like going back, one more question about the video that went viral. Were there any female, white female coaches that came to you and said, yeah, I've been wrong and here's, I'm going to right my wrong. What was amazing, Farnoosh, is that my DMs were exploding. The comments were, I mean, there were thousands and thousands of comments everywhere the video was posted. It started to spill over into Twitter and go around there. I didn't post it there. Um, And the comments were almost like 90% of the comments were like, wow, this video changed me. This video helped me to see how I'm falling short. And I call myself an ally, but I'm not. And I think I'm doing something and I'm not. And thank you for calling me out. And thank you for telling me how I can step up my game. And people were telling, like I had my publisher at HarperCollins Leadership, which is the imprint that I'm unpublished with, the publisher messaged me and said, I watched the video and I was really moved. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. People, it was going around real estate offices. People shared it with their software company CEO. I mean, I was like, what? (laughs) So I was really actually, I mean, I was, of course, there's a little bit of discomfort when something that you share with a community goes beyond that community. And you're like, whoa, I didn't realize it was going to go that far. Um, But I was grateful too, because the messages that I were getting, that I was getting is that it really woke a lot of people up. Um, And so I was happy to be able to express that. And I think it was just it was passionate, but I, there were tears in the midst of it. I was angry, you know, it was, very it, was, raw. it was all, it was all the raw emotion. Exactly. And I think people needed to see that and really understand where I was coming from. And I think they could relate and say, 
wow, like I now understand in a way that I didn't understand before. And, and right by their own choice, right? They chose not to understand. They chose not to pay attention. But for whatever reason, this video helped them to wake them up. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful because every person, every white person or person of color that is waking up to the issues that are so serious and so real for, for the Black community is a person that can then go talk to their white family and friends and be an active ally, right? And so like, we need to have more and more people be outraged until we hit that critical mass so that we can actually see a shift happen, right, in our country, which we've been waiting for, for hundreds of years. <laughs> so that's why it matters so much. Every single person, right, we need them to be as outraged so that they can step up their game and then we can really change how things are happening in our culture. Yeah, anger starts a lot of movements. Um, it does. Feminist uprising started from a lot of fed up women and anger usually gets a bad rap, but in this context, it's, it's what we need to express. Um, why 2020 is the year for change. The George Floyd killing was unlike anything I'd ever seen, but at the same time, it wasn't the first incident of a black man being killed by an armed police officer. And I've been asking this of a few of my guests in this series, like, what do you think it is about this year and this world that we're living now where we're finally saying no more. Yeah. Well, I think it was, it's everything that's going on in the world right now. I think we're paying attention and we're active online in ways that we weren't previously because social media and what it's done for us in the last few years. But then on top of that, you know, when, you know, you have millions and millions of people out of work, they're now spending more time on social media. I feel like we're all paying attention in a way that we hadn't before. We also are already raw from this pandemic and the fear around that and the unemployment it has caused and the economic uncertainty that it has caused. And then specifically for, for you know, police brutality and these, you know, killings of innocent Black people, we've had several in succession. And, uh, you know, one... Uh, with Ahmaud Arbery running, right? Just going for a run. One with Breonna Taylor, which is, I mean, I lie awake at night worried, right? Because she was at home in bed. Like this was absolutely insane that that happened. Um, and then George Floyd, I, I, I will tell you, I never watched the video. I never watched these videos because you can't unsee it. And it's devastating just to know what happened, to watch it. I couldn't handle it. But I know from people who have watched it, the fact that it was so long, that this guy just sat there for eight minutes and 46 seconds, I believe, like that the other officers did nothing. I mean, the the it was especially brutal um, and devastating, this one as well. So I think just all of those things taken together, it was just time for us to speak our truth in a way that we haven't before. And and I think society as a whole is enraged, you know, at these protests, you see that it's just not just black people. Um, it's all kinds of people who are outraged by what's happening and who are standing up and saying, absolutely not. And of course, it's Trump, too, right? Like part of it is our president and the tone that he has set as well. So all of those things have come together to create the scenario that we have right now. And thank God, thank God, because we needed this movement to happen um, desperately. We've needed it for decades. Uh, so I'm glad it's here. And I really hope, I'm cautiously optimistic that this one is different and that it'll be permanent. <laughs> 
I hope so too. I was walking down the street with my son who's turning six in a couple of weeks. There's a house, a couple couple of houses down with a huge Black Lives Matter flag on the front of the house. And my son can't read yet, but he knew like that's not usual. He's like, what is that huge sign in front of that house? I said, it says Black Lives Matter. And he didn't say anything. And I said, because our country does not respect black lives as much as it does white lives. And now, right now, there's a big movement. And I'm probably, he's like, I probably lost him at movement um, to, <laughs> to fix that. And it's a reminder that, you know, black individuals, black people are important. We have to take care of them, take care of each other. He goes, did Martin Luther, he goes, oh, maybe Martin Luther King lived in that house. And, mm. and that's because he's learned about Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King is my son's favorite character from history. But it's, uh, it's hard to have. What conversations are you having with your kids right now? You have four kids. Um, I'm sure this has come up in some way. What, are, what is the best way to communicate what's happening to, in the world to a child as young as five or six? You know, I think it's tough to do that. And I was really grateful for that CNN Sesame Street collabo that they did um, to talk to children about, you know, racism, because it is a hard thing to discuss. And it's something that unfortunately, it's not the first time that I've discussed it with my kids. Um, But what's been exciting is to be able to talk to them about this movement and how that is changing. And so they're like, Oh, there's a good thing happening, you know? Um, and so I've talked to them about it and I've had to talk to them about it because they're black, you know, (laughs) and they're going through life and they're going to experience it, um, in different settings. And of course we are so, I mean, the thing about the school where my children go is that the teachers voted, this was, I believe a year ago to read, um, waking up white, uh, they chose to chose it as like a book study uh, for all of the the staff at my kid's school. And I was like, damn, that's a good sign, you know? <laughs> um, and so they studied the book and then they were so passionate about, you know, talking about white supremacy in the school, right? In, in an elementary school. Um, and I think it is important. It is really important to name it. And so they did that. And then they loved it so much that they brought the author in. They pooled with a bunch of churches in the neighborhood and paid the speaking fee to bring in the author and had hundreds of people there from the community to learn from her. So it matters to them. And so you see, like, that's what allyship look like. It's active. You're spending time. You're spending resources, you know, um, to undo the work that unfortunately has been done on all of our psyches, you know? Let's talk about this awesome, awesome town hall that you held. You had over 5,000 people attend. It was a live virtual town hall on June 10th, um, talking about how small businesses can move on, move forward in a way that is anti-racist, building equity for their employees. Equity is really an important word. We, I hope we use it more strongly in this context. I was talking to a guest the other day. He's like, I don't want to be the same. I want to have my fair share. I want to yes. have what I deserve. I want to have the freedom to pursue what I fully deserve. I want equity. I want a stake. I want a piece of the pie. And I thought that was just such a good, it was like, so I got goosebumps. I was like, yeah, well, we've been throwing around this word equality. Like we just say it. What does it mean? Let's use mm-hmm. equity because that that means that that really b- creates wealth. Exactly. And equality is it's too late for that, right? Like the idea of that is we could have had that the founding fathers could have had that idea, but they didn't unfortunately. And you know, with the history of slavery and all of the racism that has 
come from that. Um, you can't have equality. You can't say equality and expect it to arise. Like that is something that I imagine would take hundreds of years to undo. So equity means that you provide what's needed for an equal experience to happen. So for example, in the workplace, white people are probably very comfortable in a corporate workspace in a way that black people are not and have never been. But you could do something like have affinity groups that are just for black employees to connect with each other, to talk to each other, to support each other in their experience and having one space where white people aren't, where they can truly be fully themselves in the workplace. And that's not equal, right? You're not going to create an affinity group for white people because they don't need it. The whole workspace is an affinity group for white people. Um, And black people and people of color are just tolerating it, right? And adapting and, you know, coping. And so giving them a mechanism to cope so that they can be more supported and feel more supported would be one example. And obviously that would not be enough, but that's one example of how equity plays out, right? It's not equal. It's different because the experience is different, right? And the treatment is different. And so making up for that doesn't call for equality. It calls for, for example, reparations, right? You wouldn't pay that out to white people and black people. You would only pay it out to the ancestors of slaves. So um, so that's really what equity is. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. And I hope that we talk about that a whole lot more. I agree with you. Was there something from the town hall that really blew you away? You know, you went into this as leading the discussion. You brought on experts as well. You had a, probably had a lot planned out for it. Was there anything unexpected or something that was really um, fantastic about it that almost surprised you that it was a, a big learning for you as, as far as how you run your business or how you want to educate others on running their businesses? Well, I think the thing that was surprising and also exciting was just that we had we had like 8,000 people registered. Um, and when I saw, you know, thousands of people register, like from the moment that we put out the link to, to tell us, and it was live streamed, but we said like, let us know if you're coming so that our website doesn't go down. You know, <laughs> like we need to know how many people to expect. And we had an enormous response. Um, and so I thought that was a really, really good sign. And that was really exciting. And that was surprising to me. And the reason why I created it is, again, because I didn't want to just call people out. I wanted to call them in. And so now that all these people are awake, I'm like, listen, in the small business community, that's a place where I have influence, where I have resources, where I have connections. And so I felt like I had all the ingredients to pull together um, this event, a town hall. And I was really inspired by President Obama's town hall that he led last week. Um, and so once I saw that, I was like, Hey, we could do the same thing for the small business community. Cause my biggest fear was that people would talk about this for a moment and forget about it and move on. And to me, that was unacceptable. Like I couldn't imagine that happening. I don't know how it would function in my small business community, pretending that this isn't happening, right? There's no going back to business as usual. And so I was like, well, how do we make this stick? What is my role in making this stick? And how can I you know, take action, right? Take more action. And so that's how I came up with the town hall. And I wanted to come up with a plan and ask small businesses to take a pledge to commit to becoming an anti-racist organization because small businesses employ 47% of the workforce. And, you know, we have, we spend a lot of money on running our businesses, which means we have economic 
power, right, that we can yield, uh, wield to benefit this movement. And so I just felt like, and I also think small businesses can move a lot faster than large corporations, mm-hmm. right? So I felt like this is a place where I have some influence and I can have an impact. And so that's why I decided to pull it together. And I pulled together, you know, friends that I felt could speak to this issue eloquently, who had a lot of experience, um, and, you know, just pulled it together and didn't realize, uh, exactly what it was going to be. I just, I just knew I wanted to do this pledge. And once we did it, I was, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised again by how many people took the pledge, how seriously they took it. And I said, like, you have seen me calling people out these last two weeks. Like, I will hold you accountable. So do not take this pledge if you plan to (laughs) go back to business as usual. But if you really want it, this is, these are the first steps that you can take. Because I think when you discover that you have not been living as an anti-racist, but as a racist, you immediately want to fix it. But fixing it is not something that is fast. And so I think, and especially small business owners, right? As entrepreneurs, we create things. We're like, let's create it and put it out in the world, right? We don't want to wait. Um, And so I wanted to give people some really tangible first steps that they could take that would make a real impact, but obviously are just the beginning of the work. And I wanted to hold them accountable and call them to it. And we plan to follow up with them and send out surveys and touch base with everybody who took the pledge every quarter and see what kind of progress that they make. And we'll definitely do a town hall again a year from now to see what this last year has been like as people have taken action. But I just, I wanted as a leader, I had to ask myself, how is there going to be meat on this bone? How can they, mm-hmm. how can we make this something that sticks and not just a moment on social media, you know? Right. Not just a moment, but a movement that revolutionizes and accountability is the way to do it. Keep them yes. accountable. Maybe some surprise audits. <laughs> Someone <laughs> knocking on their door. We're here to audit your uh, Black Lives Matter I- initiatives on your on your on your. Can we see your checkbook? I um, love it. <laughs> yeah. Where can we access this? Is there any way if anybody missed it and would like to watch? You go to hello7.co/slash/townhall. You can watch the town hall and you can take the pledge as well. Wonderful. I want to talk about your book. We have a few minutes left and um, I want to catch up to learn w- what this book will be about and how perhaps this la- these last this last month and the coming months may shift the direction or the tone or the the advice in the book. Yeah, you know what's interesting is that everything that I talk have been talking about these last couple of weeks is it's all related to what I do every day in my business and what I've been writing in this book as well. You know, my, my, the purpose of creating my company and writing this book has always been to empower women intersectionally, right? Not just white women, but specifically black women and women of color to empower women to get economic power so that we can have political power. And I know how to build wealth, right? Something I've done for myself. I started out with very little <laughs> um, and was very low income as a, as a child and was able to create a business and uh, create a multi-million dollar business. And I know the roadmap. And I've also taught many, many other women how to build multi-million dollar businesses and men too. Um, and so, you know, I was like, this is a skill set that I have that I can use to create an impact in the world. And so that's what I do in my business every day. And that's what this book is about. Um, It's called We Should All Be Millionaires. And it is about teaching women that shooting for six figures is not enough. We need to shoot for seven. 
and we need to take back economic power. We have amazing ideas. We have intellectual property. We have the skills and the ability. We just don't have a culture that supports it. And that's what I want to shift. And so I wanted to teach them like how within this culture that is designed, particularly if you're a black woman, black woman for you to lose, how do you win in, in this culture financially, right? And do it in a way that still allows you to, you know, be home with your kids because I have a million children, as you know, <laughs> and they require my time and attention. And I can't yeah. work And how do I do it in a way that feels like an integrity for me and that has a positive impact on the world? And so teaching women like here are the mindset shifts that you need to make to be able to see your income potential in the first place and start making what I call million dollar decisions instead of broke ass decisions, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the second half of the book is, is the roadmap of here are the steps that you take to begin to build your empire. Um, and there's a three year roadmap that is also included in the book. Um, so I really hope, you know, people read it and are empowered to go out and build wealth because I think that that is a big part of how we can continue to have political power. And I've seen it even just in this movement. The reason why I was able to put together this town hall so quickly is because I have a team and I was able to use my own resources. I spent money on Facebook ads to get the word out more. And that was my own money, right? I have rich friends. And so I was able to ask them to contribute, you know? And so having those resources, I was able to donate large sums of money. I was able to donate time um, and, you know, I find that a lot of my activist friends, they contact me when there's something that they are trying to raise money for. Um, and I'm able to contribute in ways that I wasn't before. And so I want more women and especially women of color and black women to have that ability and that power to wield that economic power. Cause I really feel that when women are making more money, uh, this world is going to shift in a major way. Mm-hmm. The world becomes a better place, to put it simply. And I can't wait for these million-dollar tricks. In the meantime, everybody, check out Rachel Rogers online at Hello7. She'll keep you warm until the book comes out. What is the title of the book, you think? It's We Should All Be Millionaires. Boom. All right. I love it. I love it. I love you, Rachel. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time coming on the show and contributing and sharing your ideas with us. We really, we love you. We appreciate you and have a great uh, rest of your week. Thanks for having me back. It's always a good time. Thanks so much to Rachel for joining us. Check out hello7.co to watch the replay of that town hall and to learn more about Rachel and her programs. Black Wealth Matters continues next week with all new episodes featuring Dominique Stapleton, an NBA agent, Yami Rose, the founder of Of Color, and Tiffany, the budgetnista, Aliche. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your weekend is so money. Money.